So, something we're going to talk about today that, that unfortunately is more common than, it went, than I wish it would be, and that's conflict. Um, conflict. You know, it's all around us, isn't it? I mean, in the, um, in the workplace, it might be a coworker who slanders you to try to get ahead of you in the job. At, at school, it might be two friends who, who have a disagreement, and, and one of the friends says, yeah, I'm never talking to you again. Um, it might be at home. You know, parents are having conflicts with kids, or maybe I should say maybe the kids are having conflict with parents, or whatever the case might be. Um, and married couples, right, get into fights. Um, take Jeff, for example. You know, Jeff's wife wasn't living up to what his expectations were. He expected that she would keep the home looking immaculate, that when he got home that there would be dinner prepared on the table, and, and it just wasn't happening. I mean, the, the home had clutter all over, and, and she was often too tired to make supper, and, and he expected you know, things to be different, and he, he didn't say anything for a long time, and uncommon, that it built up and built up, and then finally he exploded and, and said things he shouldn't have said, and he hurt his wife, and, you know, and that's not just with the wife, although that can go, go the other way with the husband as well, but, you know, in the day and age we live in, there's all, seems like there's all kinds of, of, of division and conflict, um, all kinds of disagreements, what, should you wear a mask, or shouldn't you, or should you be vaccinated, or shouldn't you, and, more conflict about politics and social issues. Seems like we're becoming more and more polarized all the time. You know, and unfortunately, church isn't exempt either, is it? Um, take Alice, for example. Alice is standing in the church lobby, and she's all excited, waiting for her friend Joan to show up, because she has some stuff she wants to share. And, and so she, she sees Joan walking in from the, the parking lot, and, and she, she's waving to try to get her attention. And, and just as, as, as Joan gets close... She, she walks into the lobby and she glances over at Alice and she puts her nose up in the air and she walks the opposite direction. And Alice is upset with that. It's like, what was, what's the deal with that? You know, why, why did she do that? Why did she ignore me? And um, the more that Alice thinks about it, the angrier she becomes. And, and, and then she goes and she finally starts talking to some of the other ladies about, about that. And, you know, sometimes... Sometimes it's not even that we did anything wrong, right? I mean, you ever had this experience where someone comes up to you, you're minding your own business, and, and they just kind of suddenly just unload on you, and they, they stomp on your toes, and then they disappear? And there you stand, no fault of your own. You know, you have ten toes flattened like pancakes, and, and you feel hurt and dejected, and you know how much it hurts when you stub just one toe, right? Well, multiply that by ten, and that's kind of how you feel about this whole conflict thing. Um, I mean, we've all been there. You know, we, um, we've all had something, you know, someone sinned against us, haven't we? And, and sometimes, sometimes we're the ones who've sinned against somebody else. But the question this morning is, how do we respond? When conflict arises in relationships, it's important for us that we would deal with them properly. And so that's what we want to talk, to, talk about today. So I'm going to ask you, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 17... Luke chapter 17, that's going to be spending uh, our, our time this morning. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. The verses will also be on the screen, but if you have a Bible, I certainly would encourage you to follow along in your copy of, of the Scriptures. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to sin are bound to come. But woe to the person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. 
In these, passage, these verses, Jesus speaks some really, really strong words for those who cause other people to sin. Jesus takes sin seriously, and so should we. But we also need to make sure that we are balanced by being gracious and having a forgiving attitude towards sinners. You know, humble believers are careful to not sin against others, and they also must not hold a grudge when others sin against them. And so Jesus gives us this caution to not act like unbelievers in not caring about sin, but also in not being unwilling to forgive. So how is it then that we're supposed to handle when someone sins against you? Well, fortunately, fortunately in this passage, Jesus has this conversation with his disciples, and he instructs us how we ought to respond. So look at verse 3. 17 verse 3 says, If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now, now, so the first thing we notice here, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to rebuke a brother or, or a sister? The, the word used in this passage means to rebuke tentatively. That's to say that you go cautiously with the facts as you see them, and yet you go and you ask questions to get additional information so you understand the situation accurately. You give the other person the opportunity to explain any misunderstandings that you, that you might have. Now, just a few words about rebuking and, and confronting. First of all, we must make sure that we don't do that with an angry spirit but do we go humbly? And, and when you confront, don't go accusing, but try to understand the full picture by asking good questions. You know, a, a number of years ago now, when I was in college, and that was a few years ago, um, I was a resident assistant. And one of the things that we did as, a, as an RA at, at the college that I attended was we were kind of an extension of the dean staff, and so we had rules to enforce. One of the rules that we had to enforce was the dress code. At the school I went to, and again, it was a long time ago, but uh, in the academic buildings, during the school day, during the, uh, the, you, you are not allowed to wear shorts or t-shirts, okay? So as an RA, I'm in an academic building. There's a guy there who's wearing shorts and a t-shirt. And so I have, an, I have a choice to make. So I'm going to go confront him because that's what I'm supposed to do. And I have a choice about how I'm going to do that. I mean, I could have gone up to him and said, hey, buddy, you're busted. Give me your ID. I'm turning you into the dean staff. I mean, that could have been one way that I could have confronted him. Um, I also could have gone up to him, and this is what I'm suggesting, is that you ask a question. And so I asked this guy a question. Hey, uh, did you know that we have a dress code? You know, you're not supposed to be wearing shorts and a T-shirt during the academic, you know, during the day. And this guy looks at me and he says, no, I didn't know that, because I'm just visiting. I'm just trying to figure out whether I want to come to this school next year. Now, and how many of you think, I'm really glad that I approached him and asked a question, right? I mean, how embarrassing that would have been if I'd approached him the other way. And, and that's what this, this verse is suggesting, this word rebuke. Go tentatively. Ask good questions, right? Don't go like you've got it all figured out, right? Now, what do we tend to do? Oftentimes what we tend to do is avoid the other person and we stop talking to them, right? Or we might go to others and, and gossip about what they did to us, you know, or, or maybe we get angry and we might even seek to try to get some revenge, you know, and some people might even ask this question, well, well why, do I, I, why do I even need to go? 
I didn't do anything wrong, right? He was the one who sinned against me, so he should be the one who has to come to me. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Whether you are the innocent party or not, you are obligated to go to them. The reconciliation of a relationship is a huge deal with God. He also says to the person who has sinned that they as well are obligated to go to the person. This is what he says. This is Jesus again in Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24. He says it this way. He says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gifts. I mean, so we get asked this question. Does God desire our worship through offerings? And the answer is absolutely. But he puts an even higher priority on being reconciled with one another. And so both commands here are very, very important. You should go to the person who has sinned against you, and they should come to you, right, as the one who has committed the sin. In an ideal world, both parties are going to come and they're going to meet together on their way to try to be reconciled. Now, what should have happened if Alice had gone to, what would have happened if, if Alice had gone to Joan instead of gossiping about her, if she had immediately gone to Joan and she asked in a non-accusing way, um, Joan, you know, this, this morning I, I felt like you were looking at me, but you walked away in, in a hurried way. Didn't you want to talk to me? Is everything okay? Well, she would have happened, if she, would, if she had done that, <clears throat> um, what would have happened if Alice had said, well, I'm not going to talk to Joan. No, she's the one who sinned against me. She needs to come to me. Well, in that scenario, Joan wouldn't even have known that, that she had done something against Alice. She wouldn't even know that she'd offended her. Now, I, I realize that that seems like a really stupid illustration. In some ways, it is. But, but friendships have been destroyed over a lot less. I mean, the reality was, the reason that she ignored her is because when she walked into the church, her nose started to bleed and she didn't have a tissue, so it put her nose up in the air and she walked over to get a tissue. And again... We don't know what the story is until we ask those questions. You follow what I'm saying? Jay Adams, who was a biblical counselor, he, he says it this way. He says, the one with the sore toes knows, and therefore he goes. Maybe you'll remember that. The one with the sore toes knows, and therefore he goes. The first step that the, Jesus told his disciples then, if your brother sins against you, go immediately to them. All right, now, the second thing we notice here, if he repents, forgive him. Look what it says again. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. For if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. So how often are we supposed to forgive him? Well, it says here in this passage, if he sins seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Now think about that for a minute. You happen to be standing beside Joe, and he gets angry over something totally unrelated to you, and so he starts to yell at you, right? And he comes to his senses. He realizes, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. So he repents, and he asks you to forgive him. How are you supposed to respond? Well, Jesus says, you're supposed to forgive him, right? Later that day, Joe comes back up to you, and this time he lies to you, and you catch him in the lie, right? And you say, what's the deal with this guy, right? You're starting to get a little upset, but he admits his wrong. He repents. And he asks for forgiveness, and so you, 
you, you forgive him. Later the same day, Joe, right, this time he comes up to you, and he does it again. He sins against you. And then he comes and he repents, and he, and he acknowledges his wrong. I mean, what do you do this time? You say, no way, buddy. Forget you. I'm not forgiving you. This is enough, right? No, that's not what Jesus says, is it? Jesus says, no, you're to forgive him again. Now, at this point, it might be advisable if he's got an anger issue or whatever, you know, tell him he needs to get some help. But, but you understand the point of the illustration. Now, I do want to make sure you understand this. The point of the illustration is not that if you're in an abusive relationship that you just stay there and you keep taking it. That's not the point of the illustration. But the point of the illustration is it's not easy to continually forgive if someone repeatedly is sinning against you. Yes? That's hard, right? Now, let's talk about what forgiveness is. And first, actually, we're going to talk about what forgiveness is not. What forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not a feeling. By the third or the fourth time, this guy coming up to you, right, who sins against you and asks for forgiveness, right, the same day, I guarantee you are not going to feel like forgiving this guy. And what are some of the excuses we use so that we don't forgive? Well, one of the excuses is, I can't do it. I don't have enough faith, right? Now, the Pharisees of Jesus' day taught that for forgiving somebody three times was plenty. And now Jesus shows up and he says, no, seven times you got to forgive. And not just seven times, but seven times in the same day. Now, the, 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 the disciples would have understood what Jesus is asking them. And in their minds, this would have been absolutely impossible. And, and so notice the response of the disciples in verse 5. It, it says, they said to the Lord, increase our faith, right? Now, how does Jesus respond to that? Look at verse 6, Luke 17, 6. Jesus replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry bush, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. I mean, what's Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying to the disciples to stop making excuses as to why you can't obey this command. They are saying, hey, when we get enough faith, then we'll obey. And Jesus says, it's not about how much faith you have. He says, if you have a tiny little bit of faith, right, you can do wonders. Jesus says, this is a matter of obedience, not a matter of faith, how much faith you have. So one of the excuses we use is, I can't do it. Another excuse sometimes we use is, I'll forgive when I see fruit appropriate to repentance. I mean, after all, it says in the Bible, say, by your fruit you'll know them. But you notice, I mean, Jesus structures his example here in such a way that that excuse is not accepted. For the forgiveness Jesus speaks about here all occurs within one day. It says, if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive forgive him. I mean, when was the last time you saw a watermelon grow up in a day, right? It doesn't happen, right? Fruit takes time to grow. We can't say, well, I'll forgive him when I see fruit. Jesus didn't leave that as an option for us. Another excuse that oftentimes we use to not forgive is if I forgive them, then they'll be off the hook. Well, we may feel that if we forgive somebody else, justice isn't served, but the problem with that kind of thinking is that we're putting ourselves into the position of the bill collector. And that's not our job. You remember Romans 12, 19, says this, says, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, says the Lord, I will repay. 
When it comes down to it, quite honestly, who's going to be better at meeting out the justice that's required? You or God? Right? So we can't say, I'll forgive, let him off the hook. No, because, because God is in control. I mean, one of the other excuses we give is, well, I just don't feel like it. And I want you to notice that, that Jesus goes on and he tells the disciples another story. Look at uh, Luke chapter 17, verses 7 to 10. Jesus says this, Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat. Won't he rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink, and after that you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Now, now what's the point? What's the point of, of Jesus telling this story? I mean, this servant has been out working hard all day in the fields. He comes in at supper tide, undoubtedly. He's tired. He's hungry. And what does the master say to him? He tells him to go get cleaned up and prepare the supper and serve it to the master. I mean, do you think the servant felt like doing that? I mean, do you think the servant felt like preparing this delicious meal for the master when he himself was starving, you know, carving the tender, you know, the, the roast beef and, and putting those mounds of potatoes and, and making those butter rolls that smelled so wonderful and cutting the pie? I mean, do you think he felt like doing all those things? You know, it's like my wife telling me that I'm not allowed to eat any of the, the cookie dough batter, right, while she's making the cookies. I have to wait until they actually come out of the oven, you know? I don't want to wait, and this guy doesn't want to wait either. It doesn't feel like it. But I am sure, right, that if it were according to how this servant felt, after having worked all day, he would have rather had the master propel the meal for him, right? And I think that's the point of the story that Jesus is telling here. The servant must obey the master regardless of how he feels. Jesus makes the point that even then the servant has not done anything exceptional, but he has only done what he was supposed to do. So even when we don't feel like it, we need to forgive. All right, so we've considered that forgiveness is not a feeling. Secondly, forgiveness is not forgetting. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. There is no command in Scripture telling us that to forgive is to forget. Now, I will make this. Uh, there is a difference between forgetting, which is passive, and not remembering, which is active. References to God forgetting our sins are really statements of God promising not to re remember our sins and hold them against us. I mean, you realize God's omniscient, so he can't forget, right? But he can choose to not hold our sins against us. So in Jeremiah 31, 34, it says, God says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will not remember their sins no more. He doesn't hold them against us. But forgiveness is not forgetting. Uh, thirdly, forgiveness is not excusing sin. Now, we've already talked about this. But excusing sin, minimizing sin, doesn't take sin seriously. God never does that, and we shouldn't either. Sin was what caused Jesus to have to die so that you and I could be forgiven. God always takes sin seriously. As a matter of fact, I would suggest to you that the reason that we need to seek forgiveness is because we are to take sin seriously. Unfortunately, that is not how we often practice forgiveness. I mean, first of all, if we're all in conflict with, with someone, say your spouse, you know, we usually, we have a fight, 
we, we may, in anger, you know, and, and so we don't talk to each other for the rest of the night, and then we go to bed, and we wake up the next morning, and what do we typically do? We act like nothing happened the night before, right? We sweep it under the rug, and we think if we just ignore it, it will go away. Or, or, or maybe it's like this. We, we go to the person we sinned against, and, and we admit we've done wrong. We ask them to forgive us, and they say this. Oh, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. I want to tell you that's not acceptable either because sin is a big deal. And forgiveness needs to be granted. Sin needs to be, that barrier needs to be removed in relationship. And without repentance and forgiveness, that being granted, that barrier is still there. All right, now, we've talked about what forgiveness is not. Let's talk about what forgiveness is. Forgiveness Definition here, forgiveness is a promise to not hold another sin against them any longer. It's a promise to not hold their sin against them any longer. Now, with that, forgiveness has four promises that go with it. Promise number one, I'm not going to dwell on that incident mentally. All right, so if I think about what happened, right, it comes into my mind and I'm dwelling on it, I'm thinking about it, what do I need to do? Well, the Bible tells us I need to take that thought captive, right, I, I need to make it come under obedience to Christ. So I need to replace that wrong thought, right, dwelling on that incident, and I need to replace it with, with the right thought. So number one, I'm not going to dwell on the incident men- mentally. Number two, I'm not going to bring up that incident again and use it against you, against that other person. Right? Sometimes we forgive, and then, you know, four weeks later, we throw it back in their face again. That is not a promise that forgiveness does, all right? Pro- promise number two is to not bring it up again. I mean, the only time it might be appropriate to bring it up again is if you're talking to a counselor and you need some help to get to deal with it. That might be appropriate, but we're not using it as ammunition. Number three is to not speak about other, to others about the incident, which would be gossip. Okay? And number four, to not allow the incident to stand between you and the other person or hinder your personal relationship with them. And if you start to apply all four of these promises, you start to realize that that's going to have an impact on... You know, I mean, again, maybe not forgetting, but it's going to certainly minimize that, the impact of the fact that you forgave for that incident. Okay? The goal of forgiveness is always, always to glorify God. And if possible, especially amongst believers, right, to, be, to reconcile with one another. The reconciliation, the restoration of relationship. Now, again, I realize, at times, because of extenuating circumstances, that may not be possible. I mean, such, for example, if one of the parties has died. Or if the other party refuses. But generally speaking, the goal of forgiveness is reconciliation. I mean, think about it. Certainly, that is the heart that God has toward us in the forgiveness that he grants to us. Is he has a heart that he wants to be reconciled with us. All right, so we've already said forgiveness is not a feeling. The third thing, then, that forgiveness is, it's an act of the will. It's an act of the will. All right, now, some practical truths about forgiveness. Um, First of all, asking for forgiveness is not the same as apologizing. In apologizing, a person doesn't necessarily admit that they've done anything wrong and that they want to change, which is the essence of repenting. In apologizing, a person says that they're sorry, which tells you how they feel, but it doesn't necessarily even say what they're sorry for. When a person apologizes, they aren't even asking the other person even to respond in any way. Now, there are situations where we should apologize. For example, you know, if you accidentally do something to somebody, let's say that I accidentally spill water on you, right? 
it would be appropriate for me to, you know, to apologize for that. Now, if I intentionally throw water on you because I'm ticked at you, I just sinned against you, right? So now apologizing is not appropriate. I need to, I, that was wrong. I need to ask you to forgive me. So hopefully you understand the difference between, between those two. When a person asks for forgiveness, they need to go to that person and admit that they were wrong, that they sinned, and ask the person to respond by granting them forgiveness. And that is much different than apologizing. And I would suggest to you those words are important. Admitting that I was wrong, that I sinned, and asking them to, you know, for forgiveness, asking them to respond to you. All right, so that's one thing. Forgiveness is not the same as apologizing. Another thing is, if the, forgive, if the offense has been committed in the heart alone, all right, not against the person, then repentance towards God that is all that's needed. However, if you have wronged somebody, then repentance and forgiveness is needed from the offending party as well as from God. And restoration should be made when that's applicable as well. I remember as a kid, um, the, the, the Holy Spirit convicted me because I had stolen some money from my brother. And so I went to my brother and I said, you know, I was wrong. You know, I stole money from you. Please forgive me. And I, and I gave him the money that I owed him. And he looked at me and he kind of smiled a little bit. He, says, uh, he said to me, well, he said, if I'm honest with you, I've been stealing money from you too. And I don't quite honestly, I don't remember if he ever made restitution for that. But anyway. Um, Forgiveness is not the same as, as restoration or reconciliation, all right? So I want to differentiate that. For example, if you are working with somebody who has a gambling problem, all right, and you forgive them, all right, from stealing the money from you, all right, you need to forgive them for that, but you don't automatically give them access to your checkbook either, okay? So forgiveness would treat the other person with kindness and with love and does what's going to be the best for the other person, all right, to help them to become more like Christ, but there may be steps required for restoration and reconciliation to take beyond just forgiveness, okay? All right, now, as we wrap this up, let's talk about the foundation of forgiveness. Why should we forgive? And the reality is the reason we forgive is because of God's forgiveness of us, of us which we totally do not deserve. That's the reason why we forgive others. Now, we don't have the time to do this, but in Matthew chapter 18, 21 to 35, Jesus tells a parable which reminds us that if God can forgive us of the billions of dollars of debt that we owe him, right, that we can never repay, how can we not then forgive the few bucks that somebody else owes us? And the argument that Jesus is making in that, in that story, that parable, is an argument from greater to lesser. If God, who is so much holier than we ever will be, is willing to forgive us, then how can we, right, not forgive somebody for a lesser sin committed against us? And think about it. What was the debt that God forgave us for? What was the debt God forgave us for? And the answer to that is for all of our sin. All of our sin, what we committed in the past, what we committed in the present, and the sin in the future. All of our rebellion against God. The fact that we were, we were due to be separated from God for all of eternity in hell. That is what God forgave us for. And what was the price of that debt? It was the death of Jesus, his one and only son, who was brutally put to death on the cross. 
You know, and at times we may say, I don't want to forgive, you know. They've caused me way too much hurt. They've hurt me too deeply. Well, think about some of the hurts that Christ suffered because of us. Isaiah 53 says it this way, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took our infirmities, he carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten, afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds were healed. We all like sheep, we've gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he didn't open his mouth. He was like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears are silent, he did not open his mouth. We might say, well, they don't deserve, they don't deserve to be forgiven. Well, what did you and I do to deserve God's forgiveness? I mean, how did God deal with us who sinned against him. Scripture tells us, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in verse 10 it says, and while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. I mean, what did we do to deserve God's forgiveness? And the answer is absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And I just got to stop here. You know, we've heard the gospel over and over again all too many times, and we take it so for granted. We don't even begin to understand how perfect and holy and powerful that God is. We don't fear God as we ought. That is, we don't give him the proper respect and awe way too many times that he deserves. And the reality is he certainly does not need us. And yet, he paid an incredible price so you and I could be forgiven. God's forgiveness of us needs to motivate us to be willing to forgive others. It's not optional. The foundation for our forgiveness is God's forgiveness of us. And Scripture tells us we are commanded to forgive others the same way that Christ has forgiven us. Ephesians 4.32 says it this way. It says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. I mean, if we look to the example of Christ as just an example for how we're supposed to live our lives, and we're inspired by that, but we're never, we're never going to be able to live like Christ did. And quite honestly... If that's what you hear this morning, you're going to walk out of this auditorium with a burden greater than you came in with. Yeah, we do look to the example of Christ, but it's more than the example of Christ. The whole point of the gospel is that we do not measure up, and we can never forgive others as Christ forgave us if it depended upon us alone. We need a Savior. First of all, we need a Savior who, so we can be forgiven. And second, that we need a Savior to help us so that we can forgive others. I mean, the beauty of the gospel is that not only did Jesus die for us, but that he rose again from the dead, and that he lives, right? And Scripture tells us he lives within us to empower us to a new life. And so now that because Christ is in us, and with his help, we can forgive 
others, even as in Christ, God has forgiven us. And so I just want to encourage you, allow the foundation of God's sacrificial love for you to be the thing that motivates you to be able to forgive others then. They may not deserve it, but you know what? Neither do you and I. We don't deserve it either. And so as you sit here this morning, you just ask a few questions. I mean, have you experienced the forgiveness of God that's only possible because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross? His death as a substitute payment in your place for you so that the penalty of your sins can be forgiven and you can be called a child of God. Have you ever experienced that forgiveness? If you're sitting here this morning and you say, I haven't, goodness for you is you can have that today. My encouragement would you would be to acknowledge your sin and to repent of that and to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior, and you will be forgiven. And perhaps you're sitting here this morning and you are a believer in Christ, right? My question for you is, are your relationships with others as they ought to be? I mean, perhaps the Holy Spirit has been bringing to mind someone who has sinned against you, right? And you've not been able to let it go. And you know you need to go to that person and you need to confront them, even as we've talked about this morning. And that's hard. But you need to confront them with love, right? And ask some questions and try to make that right. Or perhaps the Holy Spirit's been bringing to mind someone that you know that you have sinned against And you need to go to them and take responsibility for your sin and admit that you are wrong and ask them to forgive you. In either case, the question is this. Will you purpose to obey God, not make excuses, and do what God's word clearly teaches? Praise God that we can experience forgiveness and we can grant forgiveness in relationships. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the teaching of your word this morning. Lord, we we know oftentimes the world doesn't understand forgiveness. They don't get it. Because they don't understand the foundation of why they should forgive. Lord, they've never experienced the forgiveness of you, of Jesus, and the cross, and that our, our, our sins can be washed away, and that we can be reconciled in relationship with you. Oh, God, that's such an amazing thing. Lord, I pray, if there's any in this room today, Lord, who've never experienced that, Lord, I pray that today would be the day. Lord, that they would ask somebody, they would come and ask me, Lord, that they would, they would accept you and your gift of eternal life through, through repenting and trusting in Jesus. And, Lord, I pray if there's some here this morning, Lord, that they know that they, they have, there's a rift in relationship whether it's because they've sinned or maybe somebody sinned against them, I pray, Father, help us to purpose to follow your word. Lord, it's a big deal to you. You want us to be reconciled in relationship with one another. That's the whole point of the cross. That's the whole point of the gospel. And God, we're so grateful that that's true of who you are and that's your heart. I pray, Father, help us. Help us to do what, what is right, what would please you. And Lord, help us to not make excuses. Lord, thank you that we can be cleansed, forgiven, and Lord, that there can be restoration and reconciliation with your help. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.